KMTT, Kimi Tzion Titzei Torah. And today is Friday, Erev Shabbat Kodesh Parshat Korach, Chavtet Sivan. And this is the Erev Shabbat program, this is Ezra Beck. In today's Parsha, Parshat Korach, which is mostly devoted, in fact, to the story of Korach. The opening word, Vayikach Korach, in Korach Tuk, but there's no direct object to this verb. Vayikach Korach, he took, it doesn't say what he took. The verb to take requires, normal conditions, requires that there be a direct object. So there are a lot of explanations for this. I, I, they're either pshat or very close to pshat. Rashi brings lakach et atzmo. He doesn't need a direct object because he took himself. And then he quotes the Targum, the Targum Unkelis, who says that Bayikach is ve'itpalig. He separated himself. In other words, lakach et atzmo, he took himself to the side. He took himself aside. Bayikach korach, he, he, he separated himself. And, and the idea... First of all, it, it's Vashi saying pshat that normally vayikach means I took something else, but here vayikach means he took himself, he 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 grabbed himself, so to speak, took himself to the side. The idea being that in order to have a machloket, you have to be mechulak. In order to lachlok tzachem litchalek, in order to disagree, to argue, to have a conflict with Moshe, you first have to separate yourself from Kaisa. The whole basis, in other words, the whole basis for what Korach was doing was the fact that he really saw himself as being outside. So first he took himself out, and then he said to Moshe Rabbeinu what he said, and complained and, 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 and raised the, the flag of, of dissension. This, I think, might at least help us. Uh, one, of the, one of the basis for the statement of Chazal who in, uh, speak about the two kinds of machloket. There's a machloket l'shem shemayim, machloket shelo l'shem shemayim. Machloket l'shem shemayim is a machloket beitilel l'beit shemayim. Machloket shelo l'shem shemayim is machloket of korach. So offhand, it has to do with your motivation. The motivation of beitilel and beit shemayim was to uh, reach the truth of Torah. <coughs> Excuse me. And the machloket of Korach was personal gain, or for some other uh, for some other reason. But I think part of it might be this this point that Rashi is making that Beit Shammai Beit Hila were arguing from within. They had the same basic commitment both to each other and to Torah. Whereas Korach first vayikach Korach, first he took himself outside, and then everything looks different. Then already you have all sorts of complaints and arguments. Maybe you're not even aware of the fact that it's shelo l'shem shemayim that you're doing, you think, you at least think you're doing it for noble and altruistic and idealistic reasons, but you're already outside, outside the unity of the Klau, of the, of, of, of Kirat Yisrael. And that is the first step in, in Machloket Shalol Hashem Shemayim. The Medrash, the famous Medrash says that Vayikach Korach is Lakacham Bidvarim. He, Vayikach Korach, and then also, the Tad Vaviram Va'on Ben Pelet. In other words, Vayikach means to persuade. It's an unusual meaning for the word Vayikach, but Vayikach Lakacham Bidvarim. He took them with words. So therefore the word Vayikach means he, he persuaded. He made persuasive speeches. Um, and if this is, this is 
less pshat, maybe it's more medrash, but the idea being that Korach couldn't take a person physically, he didn't pick them up and, and grab them and, and drag them away, so not only do we not, does it not say what he took, there, there is nothing to take. So therefore the medrash says, well, there was another way to take people. You take people by, you can drag them with the power of your voice. Uh, does this lessen the responsibility of Datan, Vaviram, and On Ben Pelet, and the 250 people from the, the great leaders of the people who, who joined Korach? And necessarily, specifically because he didn't drag them, but only persuaded them, so you have to be persuaded. You, that's, your own, that's your own free will. But it indicates the nature of the, of the, of the machloket here. Was that Korach was a master of propaganda, a master of causing dissension, of knowing how to speak to each person by raising for each person the particular point and then working on it, uh, igniting the embers of each person's grievance and fanning it into a full-fledged fire. The Ramban, same question, Ramban says another possible meaning for lakach, to take without a direct object, lakach eitzah bilibo. Vayikach Korach means it doesn't need a direct object now. Ramban gives a direct object. He took counsel in his heart. To take counsel is in both in Hebrew and in English so it's phrased as a, a transitive verb. You take counsel. But of course taking counsel you're not, you're not actually taking anything. It's, it's the same as meaning you thought or you considered. You... You mused and, 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 uh, let the, uh, your mind was bubbling away, thinking about what to do. So, Vayikach Korach comes to indicate, and the question is, what's the pshat here? What's the point of this? Everyone does something, first things first. Here it means, no, it's an important stage. Vayikach Korach. Korach sat a long time, and, like a pot, seething on a low flame, he thought, what am I gonna do? How can I, break the monopoly of power of Moshe and Aaron. How can I uh, uh, push forward my own ambitions? Or the opposite attack, how can I break the unity of, the political unity of Am Yisrael? And before he did anything, before he came to speak to Moshe Rabbeinu, he had laid out, you shouldn't think that it's somehow spontaneous. One day Korach woke up and he was upset so he came and he complained. If he just had time to cool down, maybe it would have been okay. No, no, he had a lot of time to cool down. The, the words that he speaks in the next Pasuk are carefully chosen, but they reflect a well-planned, deeply planned, and long-prepared uh, operation that he, had, that he had in mind. And uh, if we've already mentioned Korach, so I'd like to mention the question of the Khatam Sofer. Sofer asks, why did Korach's father, Yitzhar, name him Korach? Because the Gemara says, you should not give the name, you should not give someone a name if it's the name of a Rasha. And Korach was one of the children of Esav. So why did Yitzhar name Korach, Korach? Tam Sofer doesn't know the answer. He says, yeah, well, I don't know why he did it, but he had no tenet. Look what happened. In fact, Korach turned out badly because his father had not been careful to follow Chazal's advice and had given a name which was the name of the Rasha. And this is to indicate to us, it's, it's, it is a Gemara, and I'm not sure people always remember it, 
But the really says, and here the Chatham Sofer says, you should know that it's going to work negatively or positively, that names that are given, one should not give the name of a Rasha, but only the name of a Tzaddik, specifically referring to biblical names, to names that have uh, official status. That name was a Tzaddik or a Rasha. So the Gemara says, Lo lemaski Rashi. One should not give the name of a, of a Rasha. And now we turn to Harav Binyamin Tavori for the weekly discussion of the outside of the coming week. Harav Tavori. This week on Gimel Tammuz, we commemorate the 25th yard site of Rav Schneir Kutler. Rav Schneir was born on 1918 and was Nifter 25 years ago, 1982. He only lived till the age of 64. Obviously, the son of a Baron Cutler, the grandson of Rabbi Zalman Meltzer of Yerushalayim. Rav Schneir was trained from youth, living for a while in Slutsk as a young, young child, moving to Kletsk, and eventually winding up in Yerushalayim to learn with Gedola Yisrael. He was obviously very close to his grandfather, Rabbi Zalman, and learned with him. In fact, at a, that very young age, before he, I don't know the exact year, but it was before the mid-40s, Rav Schneier arranged the indices, maftechos, summary of the chidushim of the of his grandfather, of Rabbi Zalman, and they're printed in the Evan Ha'azel, in Rabbi Zalman's classic work. There are editions and notes and summary of Rabbi Shneur Kutler as a young man. And he was also very close to the other G'dalim of Yishalayim, notably Rabbi Velvel. Later on in years, Rabbi Shneur used to refer to those years as years that he spent in the Mechitza within the confines of meeting with many Gedola Yisrael, and he used to tell stories about his encounters with them, about Gedolim. He was a great raconteur besides all his other talents, which we'll briefly enumerate now. But he felt that keeping these Torah personalities alive and telling stories about them was an important part of the Masorah. In the mid-60s, in the mid-40s, when Rebaron Cutler moved to New York, Rav Schneier also came to New York and was active in the yeshiva. But, it, of course, it wasn't until the patira, until the death of Rebaron Cutler, that Rav Schneier himself came into prominence. In 1962, when Rebaron was nifter, there was a discussion among the Russia yeshiva of that generation who should take over the yeshiva. I lived at that time in Borough Park one block away from the home of Rebaron Cutler. He had a home in Borough Park 
And that night, the night after the Petira, there was a meeting in his home, in the house of Rebbein Cutler, meeting of great Rabbanim, the great Rashi Yeshiva, to discuss the future of, of, the, of the Lakewood Yeshiva. I, at that time, I was a student in Yeshiva University, and Rav David Lifshitz came over to me in the morning and asked me if I would bring his letter to that meeting. He couldn't attend the, the, letter, the meeting, but he wanted his letter to be given to them. And so I actually went to the house of Rebbein Cutler that day to deliver the letter from Rav David Lifshitz. At that meeting, it was decided that, that Rav Schneier would take over the yeshiva of Lakewood. It was told to me at that time that Rav Schneier felt that his job was to continue not to deviate, but merely to continue the path set upon by his father, Rav Aaron Cutler. When Rav Aaron Cutler originally came to America, people felt that it was impossible to build the world of Torah in America. The situation of Yeshiva University was one place of learning Torah, but to build a place without a college, without university, just what Rebbein Cutler envisioned as a continuation of his yeshiva in Kletsk, people scoffed and said it was impossible. When people approached Rebbein Cutler, one of the people that was involved was a friend of my family, Reb Nissen Waxman, who was at that time a Rav in Lakewood. And he approached Rebbein Cutler to help bring him to America, as a matter of fact and tried to arrange a yeshiva, Rebaran insisted that this yeshiva be built in a city which would be a quiet city, away from the hustle-bustle of America, not in New York. And he said, only there, if we take the bachurim out of the American culture and bring them into the yeshiva, can we produce a Makam Torah. Reb Schneier felt that what his father had begun must continue in the same manner of which his father built the yeshiva. It, it was told to me that Reb Schneier likened himself at that time to the task that was given to Yitzchak. When Avram was the first to proclaim monotheism, he brought monotheism into a world of Avodah to a world which people would scoff and say that it's not possible. When the Leitzanei Hador the scoffers of the generation said me Avimelech nis Abra Sarah that Sarah was impregnated by Avimelech. One could interpret that the scoffers did not indeed say that God forbid Sarah had committed adultery with Avimelech. But in a more spiritual vein, they felt that the milieu in which Yitzchak was brought up, in which Avram was trying to create <coughs> a world through Yitzchak. That milieu was the world of Avimelech. The culture was that of Avimelech. And therefore they could scoff, they could be leitzanim, and they could say this has no continuity. Therefore Yitzchak's job is to stifle those scoffers by proving there is a direct continuity, not to change what Avraham did, but to continue in the same path, and of course, by Yitzchak it says, "Vayoshav Yitzchak vayachpores beiros hamayim ashachafru avdei aviv meAvram aviv veisatmun plishti machimos aviyam meikolem shemos kashemos asher kamlam aviv." Yitzchak went and redug the wells that had been 
closed up in the time of Avraham. Those wells represent, perhaps in a metaphor, a spiritual concept, perhaps even a physical concept. But these were the wells that were dug by Avraham, and once Avraham died, they felt there's no continuity. We don't have to worry about this. We can close up those wells. But Yitzchak redigs the wells, the same wells, the same system that Avram had, and he calls them the same names that Avram had called them, which shows that there is a continuity to the pioneering work of Avraham. And as I said, it was told to me that Reb Schneir, in the beginning, taking over from his father, felt that that was his responsibility in the world, to take over that path that his father had built in Lakewood and not deviate, not change, but go in the same path and show that he's doing the same as his father did was the sign for the continuity. Apparently, in the first few years that Rav Schneer was in Lakewood, his shiurim primarily were based upon disseminating his father's Torah. Although, he obviously had his own chidushim, and later on, his chidushim were indeed printed. We have a safe, we have svarim at least of chidushim of Reb Shneir Katar printed. But in the beginning, he felt his job was to continue his father's Torah and say over Torah from his father. Only later did he begin to say in yeshiva did he begin to say his own chidushim. While he was interested in building his yeshiva, it's remarkable to see how at the end, the difference between Lakewood in the days of Rebbe Aaron Cutler and until 1982, and then continue and see the changes in Lakewood until today have occurred. Rebbe Aaron had a yeshiva which was world-renowned, the yeshiva of Lakewood. How many Talmidim were in the yeshiva of Lakewood? At that time, it seems there were approximately 200 fellows in the yeshiva. When Reb Schneier took over, altogether, there were more or less 200 fellows in the yeshiva. Between the 1964 and 1962 and 1982, between the years the Rav Schneier was the Rosh Yeshiva, the Yeshiva grew from 200 students until almost 1,000 students. Not only did the Yeshiva of Lakewood grow, but the city of Lakewood became known not just as the city with the base Medrash, but it was the city that B'nai Torah swarmed to. Today, I have no idea how many there are, but Lakewood is a city teeming with Torah. Many of the Bogrim, many of the people who had learned in Lakewood, but continued to live in Lakewood, entered businesses, professions, but wanted to be in the area of the yeshiva, and therefore Lakewood today became a real yeshiva town. All this was due to the efforts of Reb Schneier who built upon what, what his father had done, but he spread the Torah to an even greater amount of students in the city, in the yeshiva. Rebaran 
Cutler had originally the idea of building one Makam Torah in Lakewood. Reb Schneier further developed this idea and worried a great deal about Klai Yisrael outside of Lakewood and outside of New York. He began a number of Batei Medrash, a number of Kolalim, which made a profound impact upon various cities in North America. I remember that in the mid-60s, one of the first Lakewood Kolalim was founded in Denver. At that time, Denver really was almost what we would call an Iranidachas, a city with no Torah at all in it, a city without a religious community at all. Very, very few people seemed to be the dominant force of the Orthodox community in Denver. Reb Schneier sent a cadre of young Kolelnikim, of young Tamiri Chachamim. One of the people that came to head the Kolel was Rav Kagan, who was the son of Rav Kagan, who was the Rosh Hashiva of Yeshiva Srebenu Yaakov Yosef. My Rosh Hashiva, when I was in Yeshiva High School, in RJJ, his son went to Denver with a group of people and it became a model of what a base medrash can accomplish in a town and also developed Denver as a Makam Torah. And then today we see in, in Philadelphia, in many other cities where yeshivas, which were begun as outreach of Lakewood, became centers of Torah and developed develop Torah in, in these cities. Reb Schneer was very concerned with the Klal Yisrael and not just with the yeshiva. At the Hesped that Reb Yaakov Kamenetsky made for Reb Schneer, he said, in Lakewood itself, maybe we'll find somebody to replace Reb Schneer. After all, he had a big family and there are many kolchos, there are many great Tamani Chachamim in his family who can take over. And I'm not so worried about that. I am worried about who will worry about Klal Yisrael, who will worry about the other communities as much as Rav Shneur Kotler did. He was a person who began with his yeshiva, but then he built outreach to many other institutions as well. A very interesting point, which is just a curious fact, which is symbolical of the idea that Rav Shneur took over for Rav and wanted to continue his derech, his continue what he did, was pointed out by students of Lakewood. They actually counted the time that Rebaron Cutler spent in Lakewood from the day that he founded Lakewood until the day that he was Nifter. And it came out to be 19 years, 7 months, and 1 day. And then they saw when Rebaron, when Rav Schneer took over for Rebaron, he was the Rosh Hashiva 19 years, 7 months, and 1 day. A curious fact, which is totally inexplicable, but somehow it does have a, a feeling that indeed Rav Schneer Cutler took over for Rebaron, tried to build the same yeshiva that Rebaron did, but eventually, as we said, he did a lot of outreach and built communities over North America. Yehi Zichro Baruch, 
His memory should be a blessing for all of us. You've been listening to Rabbi Yamin Tavori discuss the, the life of Rav Shnei Katra Zatzal, Rosh Hashiva of Lakewood. Uh, a little bit of Musa connected to this week's Pasha. The opening Pasuk lists three confederates of Korach, Datan, Va'aviram, and On Ben Pelet. On Ben Pelet disappears. He is not mentioned later on, he isn't killed, he's not swallowed. He just disappears from the rest of the Pasha. The Gemara in Sanhedrin of Kufiut says, Chachmot Nashim Banta Beita. The wisdom of women builds their house. Zu Ishto Shal On Ben Pelet. What is the example of the wise woman? The wife of On Ben Pelet. Because the Medrash has a story that says, What happened to On Ben Pelet? His wife came to him and said to him, What are you getting involved here? In any event, you are not going to benefit. If Moshe Rabbeinu is the leader, you're going to be on Ben Pelet. And if Korach succeeds in overturning, overthrowing the rule of Moshe Rabbeinu and he becomes a great leader, you'll still be on Ben Pelet. So why are you getting involved in a machloket from which you can't benefit, which is not connected to you? That was her argument. And eventually the Gemara then goes on to describe how she... Uh, managed to keep Omer Pelet from, in fact, joining the actual rebellion, and therefore he was spared. Avchaim Shmulevitz, Zatzal, Shiva Mir, asked, what such Chochmah Gedola? There's a Pasuk in Mishle that's describing great wisdom, Chochmot Nashim Banta Beitai. And this is the example. The wisdom involved in her uh, question is not that great. We all know it's true. What's the point in getting involved in a machloket that you cannot gain from? That's not a, a great piece of wisdom. It's true. But it's obvious. So why is the Pasuk in Mishle and why is the Gemad in Sanhedrin of Kufir praise the wife of Om ben Pellet for this deep wisdom? It's a very Pasha thing. Rav Chaim Shemlevet's answer and that I think is a really, really, really true, very incisive Musa point. He says, for you and me now, it's nothing brilliant. We all immediately understand, we probably knew it ourselves, that there's no point in creating a machloket or getting involved in a controversy that doesn't involve us. However, bishat machloket, when there is a machloket raging, you have to be a very, very great chacham to realize and remember and apply something as simple as Mrs. Own Ben Pellet's understanding. In other words, wisdom consists of two things. There's objective wisdom when you're sitting in your seat, but it's another kind of wisdom, a much greater wisdom, to remember your wisdom when you're in the throes of emotion or activity or passion, in this case, machloket. Once the machloket begins in Amisel, people join, it's idiotic. It's the opposite of chokhmah. But it happens nonetheless. And only the true Chachamim are able to remember when being, when, when feeling the winds that are sweeping one up. Great things are happening. We all run into the street and, 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 and start shouting one of the two sides. That's Chachmat Nashim Banta Beitar. This is On Ben Pellet, saved On Ben Pellet. But even at that time saying, I'm not going to get involved. What is my connection to this Machloket? 
you have to remember to be wise even at such a time. And that is in fact a great wisdom worthy of being uh, admired and commended by Shlomo Melech in Sefer, in Sefer Mishlei. That's it for today. I want to wish you a uh, Shabbat Shalom. And Kol Tuv. And of course, next week we will continue our regular scheduled broadcasts of KMTT, the Torah podcast, broadcast here from Alon Shvot, Meshivat HaRatzion in Kushetzion in Israel. KMTT, Kimitzion, Teitzei Torah, Udvar Hashem, Yerushalayim.